Carl Gearhart from the Giant Country Horns. This podcast is In the Loop, the Legion of Osiris Podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with podcasts and live experiences about artists and topics you love. Check out OsirisPod.com, stay in the loop, and sign up for the newsletter to learn about the newest podcasts and events. Relics Magazine is a media partner of Osiris. For music news, go to Relics.com. Hi everyone, welcome to GuitarCast. This is your host, Andy Keithley. Welcome back, it's been a while. It's been uh, a little over a month, I think, since the last GuitarCast. But we are back today with a double feature. Two separate interviews with two of my old friends, both engineers. Got Nelson Lugo, who I worked with at the Village Recorder here in Los Angeles many years ago. And T-Well, who is a great live sound engineer who I've worked with many times. GuitarCast is a member of the Osiris Podcast Network. Osiris is a community of podcasts, music and comedy and culture. Bunch of great podcasts. Find out more at OsirisPod.com. Sign up for the newsletter and stay up to date with all the giveaways and events and new podcasts coming out all the time from Osiris. Don't forget to follow GuitarCast on Twitter and Instagram at GuitarCastPod. Follow Osiris on Twitter at OsirisPod. And take a minute to leave a rating and a review on your podcast app for GuitarCast. And there's always more GuitarCast at guitarcast.net. Thanks a lot for listening. First up is my interview with audio engineer Nelson Lugo. I should probably introduce you officially here. Oh, yeah. Nelson Lugo. Hello. Nelson, so good to see you again. Good to see you. It's Adam. been, I don't know, it's been, what do we say? At least seven years, 2011. Wow. 2012. Yeah. And we were part of the same class of runners at the yeah. Village Recorder here in Los Angeles. Yeah. A lot of endless nights. A lot of overnight, <laughs> uh, you know, the village, the village is like this old haunted mansion of a recording studio. Yes. It's, it's an old Masonic <laughs> temple built in the 20s, and sometime in the 60s, it began to slowly become this recording studio, and has been that way ever since, and it, the, the, that's like the ultra-condensed history of the village. It's obviously got a lot more going on there yeah. than that. But when we started there, I think I, st- I started there in 2008... So I might have been a little a little before you. Yeah, like a few months, because I was also That's in right. 2008. I think it was October. So yeah, I started in May. Yeah. So we, we must have been in the same class at Berkeley. Yeah. But yeah. I, I didn't meet you at Berkeley. No, we met out here. Yeah. yeah. Is, I, I find that that's the case with a lot of people that I know. It's like, 
we were there at the same time, but didn't really know each other. But I, I also was, uh, I was not in MP&E. Oh, you were like performance or I songwriting? I was CWP. So, CWP. Yeah. yeah. I was doing more like composition Writing, and composition. sequencing and uh, we never touched a console, but you were in MP&E, music production engineering. Yeah. And uh, so it made sense for you to work at the village. A lot of the staff there at the villages uh, came out of the MP&E program. But yeah, we uh, that we, we were both also new to LA. Yeah, pretty yeah. And so I remember just having that in common, like figuring out the city and and where things were, and kind of uh, like where, what to do with our where free to go time. Out. And like... we were both like painfully <laughs> single at that point. Just yes, that's a nice to, way of putting it. Yeah, <laughs> just like sitting around wondering how do we get these girls to talk to us? You know. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we just, it was because we never left the village, basically. If you're a runner there, especially if you're a new runner there, you are pretty much on call. If you're not there, then you're on call. And right. you, you, you know, you, you have a day off, they call you in. Exactly. You, you have. And you can't say no because you then, can, like, you're not a team player. Right, then, you know? right. You can never so. say no. And they say, oh, we need someone to come in uh, until midnight. And then it, the session would go until six in the morning. Yep. Uh, it's just a crazy, crazy wild place to work, and uh, all this A-list clientele and all of our all of our clients were working on big projects, big albums and movies and stuff. Yeah, and uh, and yeah. So tell me about because uh, you moved in uh, 2014. Well, I left the village in October of 2011, and then afterwards I did a little bit of freelancing. I was doing like live sound at a club in Beverly Hills, and then I did a little bit of freelance at Glenwood Place in uh, in Burbank, mm-hmm. and then on January, I started working at Premier Networks, and pretty much you know like monitoring audio QC, um, streaming of a bunch of different radio shows that mm. are distributed nationwide across the the U.S. And I did that pretty much until I left. Um, LA so from 2012 to like August of 2014 yeah so so you're a trained engineer who found work in your field more or less yeah 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 but it was interesting because it was all like more like audio QC so you want to make sure that the the audio levels were always clean nothing was distorting yeah. And if there was a problem with a satellite, like you would switch uplinks huh. to make sure that there was no dead air and wow. transmission was clean. So it was a different, interesting change of pace. Yeah. Before you got into engineering, you're a guitar player, right? Oh, yeah. That's what got me into yeah into the music world. That's what got me into the U.S., technically. Yeah. I mean, I'm Puerto, Puerto Rican, right. born and raised, so we are U.S. citizens. So, my, but my dream was always to be like the man behind the glass, you know, moving the faders yeah. and recording and making albums. That was so what, what got age, us here. What age did you start playing guitar? Uh, I was 10. Mm-hmm. I was 10. It's about when I, I started to get serious about it, too. I actually wanted to be a drummer, but my cousin, my cousin started playing the drums. I was like, oh, man, well, I guess we're going to need a guitar player. Can't have two right? It's like, <laughs> and then I was, I was watching VH1. Remember those, those iconic music channels? Yeah. And there was like a November rain and then Slash is doing, you know, the solo on top of the piano. Like, ah, I want to be able to do that. That, Yeah, that video is like probably one of the 
Because it was right in the peak of music yeah. videos when they were popular in general. Exactly. Now, now nobody cares about music videos. But right. that was when there was like 12 music videos in in rotation yes. on VH1 and MTV. And any time November <laughs> Rain came on, it was, like, it was like a five and a half minute yes. video. And it was like, everybody shut up, you know. And there's no DVR. So it's like, no. we got we to gotta watch it. Here comes the solo. And Slash, <laughs> Slash makes the guitar look really cool. Yeah. So that was a no-brainer then, you know? As soon as I saw Slash and top of the piano, I was like, I want to be able to do that, you know? Yeah. So that's what got me into playing guitar, pretty much. Cool. And so you were a guitar principal at Berkeley in yeah. MP&E. Yeah. So did, you probably, you only took, what, one or two semesters of, like, private lesson and ensemble, or two uh, years? Yeah. Okay, so four two semesters. Years. Four semesters. So levels one through four... Like yeah. That. Do you remember who you studied with or like, were you doing jazz? Were you doing? No, I was mostly one of the more like into Sh- the, the rock. Type? Yeah. The rock type of thing. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Dream Theater was a, always a yeah, big popular like one. Like John Finn. But I also started with like Scott Teruli, Bruce uh-huh. Bartlett, because I wanted to get more into a different style, more of fusion type of approach into guitar soloing. Yeah. So. So do you uh, still play? Yes. Not as often as I would like to, but I try to play at least 30 minutes here and there just for, yeah. just for fun. Yeah. It's, I was thinking about this, you know, it's pretty common for like guys, like my parents age, you know, my dad, my dad included, and a lot of his peers, they all got back into music after a career in something else and raising a family and basically stepping away for 30 years. <laughs> and now they're all a bunch of these old guys yeah. who are playing in bands. Get together and jam and out. And it's like the best thing ever, yeah. right? And I always wondered, like, am I going to, is that going to be me? Am I going to, am I going to be like <laughs> pumped up to, you know, for the one band practice every three months <laughs> with all my buddies when I'm like 65, you know? And, for a long time, I was playing. I was playing professionally, and I was like, yeah. it's "No question, it's, I'm, it's what I do for a living." And for the last two years, working at the Ray Charles Foundation, I'm not making my living playing guitar, and I, it's becoming more and more like this thing I look forward to whenever I get a chance to play right. with someone. Right. You know, I, uh, I play on my own from time to time, but certainly not the kind of hours that I was putting in yeah. years ago. And I, I don't even play as... My peak was early 20s as yeah. a guitar player, I would say, definitely. Like, my shops are nowhere near what they used to be yeah. at all. Um, what kind of guitar do you have? Uh, currently, uh, I'm playing a GNL um, ASAT Special. It's got those uh, MFD. Mm. That's kind of like a... Not a single coil, but not a humbucker. Yeah. So, that's my... Color Baby Blue is like a sonic blue color. Cool. So, that's my, my, main, my main guitar. Nice. What about uh, amps? Do you have a... Yeah, so I actually bought a kit, uh, and I hand-wired with a friend of my friend in Wisconsin. His name is Chris Middlestead. He's a guitar luthier. And um, he's like, Nelson, you need to build an amp. And I'm like, there's no way I can do this, dude. I I can record. I can play. I I am not a mechanical person. like, no, you can't do this. So he convinced me somehow, and um, I bought a kit, and I hand-wired... Fender Deluxe, a Tweed Deluxe amp. So how much did the kit cost? I can't remember if it was five. It was something between 500 to 750. Okay. 
So, okay. And what was it like putting it together? Like, um, basically, you have like all the resistors, all the capacitors, all the tubes in like a little box. And then you have this diagram, this, and then you start pretty much hand wiring, soldering like everything together. It's like building a model car. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I did that over a weekend. I started on a Friday night and I finished Sunday afternoon. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And that's pretty much what I've been playing. Like my... Really? My tweet and my... Yeah. And my GNL. Cool, man. So, and you moved, tell me about where you moved to and what you do there now. Oh, sure. So, I've been living in Wisconsin since August of 2014. So, I moved out there and I've been working with a company called uh, Sound Devices, which they're mostly known for like TV film production mm-hmm. recorders. Um, like our recorders are using like Star Wars, La La Land, Game of Thrones, all those awesome wow. scenes were recorded on Sound Devices gear. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And uh, do you miss L.A.? It's bittersweet for me, yeah. to be bluntly honest. Uh, it's a yes and no. For example, I miss my friends um, because a lot of my good close friends are out here. Mm. Um, I miss the the food, the cultural uh, diversity. Yeah. And, uh, well, I'm originally from the Caribbean, so I miss surfing. I miss the beach. Um, yeah. This, so, you're up in the pretty cold part of the country. Yeah. I'm in, uh, in a town that probably nobody knows. <laughs> it's called Baraboo. Yeah. yeah Baraboo. Sounds cold already. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, 45, 45, 50 minutes north of the capital in Madison. So a very small town, like, to give you an idea how small it is, do you want to guess population in that town that I'm uh, living? 10,000. 12. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. So is there any kind of music scene there that you've tapped into? Um, actually, in Madison, yeah. there, there is. I figured most big college towns like that have yeah. a, lot, uh, a lot of creativity, a lot of bands. So for example... A couple of weeks ago, before I came out here, I, I went to see a Death Cab for Cutie. They were playing mm. at the Sylvie, which is a new venue. Um, and then, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to see band a band called AJR. You know AJR? No, no. Um, I have a couple, more like alt rock. And uh, yeah, and then I bought tickets to see Young the Giant. Cool. I think they're coming down there in February, I believe. So there's a couple of bands I'm more I'm more like into alt rock now nowadays. Yeah. So that I, now that I have free my nights free again. Yeah. <laughs> so I try to see uh, you know a lot of live shows as as often as I can. What are you? You're in town this week for a couple of presentations for your company. Yeah. So we're actually uh, at the village mm-hmm. this this last Tuesday. What was it like going back to the village to to work? It was actually fun. It yeah. was it was cool. You know. Um, a lot of memories, you know, a lot of crazy memories, but it was actually nice to... Did you run into Jeff? No, no, I actually, did. he wasn't there, <laughs> but I saw Tina. Yeah. We talked for a while, gave her a big hug. I saw Alex. Yeah, he's still there. So it was, it was cool, you know, and it was interesting being on the other side, you know, being a, a customer. Yeah, yeah. Because our assistant, um, Branco, he was awesome. Like I got there, everything was pretty much set up. I was like, 
what? Yeah. <laughs> it's like everything was there. All I had to do, literally, just take the computer, because um, I had a little PowerPoint presentation, take the, the portable recorder, plug in, like, two cables, and I was good to go, like, literally. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess it was always set up. I just, as a runner, I, it maybe it's just that we see it more, but it always seemed like every session was like, like struggling some to find catastrophe, something yeah <laughs> some major malfunction with every session that we would all scramble to figure out we need fix. more headphones or we need this but we were seeing that where the client would walk in and look everything and was good everything to go was good to go so yeah. maybe it's just a perspective thing yeah but yeah man so what was your presentation like it was awesome um it was called um studio quality music anytime anywhere and it's it's basically this idea of promoting like DAWless recording because, you know, as soon as you open up Pro Tools or whatever DAW you're using, you know, not to knock on, on DAWS or anything like that because they're awesome and a necessity. Yeah. But sometimes when you want to be creative, you don't want to be focusing on waveforms or focusing on what plugin, what EQ, what compression. Sometimes you just want to plug it, play, lay down your musical ideas without being bothered by the technicalities of it. So that was what the presentation was about. Yeah. And uh, I was lucky enough that I got some really nice uh, world-class musicians to come play with us. We had uh, Gordon Campbell on drums um, and also uh, Oscar Cartaya on bass. He's done a lot of work with like Robbie Robertson. Oh, and, cool. So. Yeah. So At was, the village, was, I presume. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Wojan Brothers, too. Remember the Wojan yeah, Brothers? The yeah, the Wojans. Yeah. <laughs> so it was yeah. just a fun, it was a fun time. Thank you for having me, man. This is awesome. Nelson, so good. So good to see you, man. Uh, you too. You know, uh, hit me up anytime you come back to LA. Definitely. And next time I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, I'll, uh, you, I'll look you up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being on the show. Thank we'll, you, Andy. Uh, talk to you later, man. Thanks. Cheers. So that was my buddy, Nelson. Haven't seen him in years. Great to sit down and talk with him. Next up is T. Well. T-Well is an all-around great guy and a really talented engineer, live sound tech. Here comes T-Well. <laughs> wow, I miss this place. We did lots of recordings here. We did. That. Like we just set up, we just set stuff up, and we walk out of our rooms and go, "Oh, let's record some stuff." You guys be jamming. I'll be like, "Quit the jamming. Let me get the recorder." Yeah. Out. Yeah. Um, so, welcome to the show, T-Well. Yeah. Mr. T. Well. Yeah. And what's your last name? Gowargas. Gowargas. Yeah. And uh, T. Well, you're one of the best, most dedicated live sound engineers oh, I've ever met. Thank you, man. And I love that. My, I mean, <laughs> my background being an engineer, uh, I, I really have a lot of respect for an engineer who, who is there and committed to the sound all the way through a show as if you're a part of the band. Yeah, you know, a band member doesn't have the uh, luxury of like sitting out for a set or, you know, taking a break. And the sound sound guy, engineer, really shouldn't either. Yeah, yeah, I've always been of that school of thought as well. Uh, if if you're doing a if you're doing a gig, you're doing the gig. You're not doing the first five minutes and the last five minutes. And you know, the the, the band takes. Musicians take solos. Musicians, they, they, there's dynamics, and if there's dynamics, you've got to be on top of that. 
Yeah. So that's, yeah. Uh, thanks, man. Appreciate that compliment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I have, I have not met too many engineers who are kind of like, you know, uh, specialized in live sound. I mean, you obviously know your way around a recording studio too, but, but that's how we met. So it's probably like four or five years ago by now. Yeah, it's almost probably like four and a half. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much right there. And... Did you email us? I, think? I did. I, when I, so <laughs> I, I moved to the US in 2000 and uh, the end of 2013. From Australia. From Australia. And I didn't know anybody or anything. I had, I had no contacts and I was just like, well, what do I do? So I jumped online to all the, all the venue websites around town, like in LA. And I just went through the calendars, like they, what was upcoming gigs and this and that. And I just... All the local bands, I just blast emailed. Mm-hmm. Just email all of them, you know, saying, um, I'm a sound guy from Australia. I'm looking for some gigs, just moved here. And I, I probably emailed about 100. 10 got back to me. You were one of them. Yeah. And of the 10 that got back, I met up with three. And of the three that I met up with, you were the only guys who started throwing <laughs> me work. <laughs> well, I, you know, I just remember we, we were like, this is this is in the Get Down Boys days. And we were like a busy working band. We had a yeah. full calendar. We were playing four or five times yeah. a week. Yeah. Regularly for, I mean, for years. We were on a roll, you know. And uh, so we had, we had the work. And I knew, and I think we all kind of knew, you know, over the seven years that I was in that band, we started off all of us as just total amateurs, as players, as performers, and we slowly learned how to act on stage, how to play better, how to present ourselves, how to dress on stage, and then we started upgrading our gear slowly. Yeah. And it was this very gradual, um, gradual, like, learning how to really be a professional band and all the subtleties and the nuance that comes along with that. Yeah. And when I got an email from you saying, Hey, I'm a, I'm a live sound engineer and I'm looking for some work. I thought, man, that's just absolutely, per- that's what we need. Yeah. You know, our gear has been getting better. We've been getting better. Our, our, our overall show is becoming more polished. Wouldn't it just be perfect if we had somebody who is on the board, riding faders, really, really making us sound good yeah allowing us to sound good you know what i mean because if we if we don't sound if if the sound isn't getting out to the audience it doesn't matter what we play or how we play exactly so i I was thought that was absolutely perfect timing and uh and yeah and and we you were basically part of the band i mean you you were coming to every gig with us yeah i remember that that was good and it was i mean you know i've played in a lot of bands and none of them other than the get down boys have had like a dedicated sound guy who was basically part of the group yeah i actually remember my first gig with you guys it was uh it was that venue on um uh, it was uh was it ocean boulevard no um kind of by santa monica way uh it was a little it was a restaurant gig and you guys said to me before i did my first ever gig you guys we've got this venue and it just a horrible sound. We can never get it to sound good. And I think you guys used that as my trial gig. Uh, and <laughs> I wonder what, what's I, one I can't was. remember. It was a it, it when well, it had a little outdoor area, and then to the right of that was where you guys played. Then it had the bar behind. Um, uh, it, it was one of those fancy sounding names and restaurants. Huh. Uh, I can't remember, but but anyway, yeah. It was I'll really think about re- it in like an hour. I'll, it'll come yeah, to me. It was all glass walls and really reflective, mm. and it was just not 
ideal. And we were probably, there was a, a long time where we thought we wanted to use single mic, a condenser mic, because that was legit and that's how bluegrass was. Yeah. And not, not really realizing that the, the venues we were playing. Yeah, weren't ideal. No, you can't put up a single condenser mic and expect it to sound <laughs> very good. We're not in a theater, you know, yeah, we're exactly. not in like a, a listening room or a concert hall where you can pull that off. Yeah. Out of the challenges, but but back on to what you said about the gradual uh, uh, kind of morphing or shifting from amateurs to professionals, it was awesome because I got to see that as mm. well. I mean, you guys had already been playing for a few years before I, I come along, but uh, I, I saw you go from like just people who were just doing a gig to people who were uh, doing many gigs and doing them professionally from start mm. to end like all right we've got to go this time that time get there set up yeah. check uh and then do the gig we always down. had house music picked out so like specialized for each gig house music that's another one of those little things you know yeah so many little things people don't really realize is happening in a concert experience and it's all this behind the scenes stuff that you wouldn't even think about like like pushing a fader on somebody's solo if you do it right, nobody notices. Yeah. But what they do notice is that the solo came through nice and clear. Yeah. And that's something that you don't see from the audience. Yeah. Just like house music. Ha having house music, it's this subtle thing that people don't even realize when they're just chatting and the band's about to start and there's just music in the background. If there was no house music, it would be extremely awkward, <laughs> super quiet. Oh, people yeah. would be like, what is taking so long? Why yeah. am I so anxious? Yeah, it's one of those one of those little things. But yeah, we uh, having having you and having somebody there who is kind of part of the team, but not on stage, didn't have to worry about being on stage. It was great because if if we need if we're at a wedding and they were like there was some kind of miscommunication, which there is at every single wedding we've ever played. Yeah, uh, we'd say, hey, T. Will, go figure out what time we're supposed to start the blah blah blah. Yeah, it's just great having having because you were essentially like our manager, our sound tech. Our yeah. roadie. That's the sound guys' <laughs> gig, man. We are wherever the wherever yeah. the, from the sound guy to the man, tool manager to the to the security to the psychologist. Yeah, really. You're like this neutral member of the yeah. band that that uh, we're Switzerland. Yeah, you really are. <laughs> I mean, like like yeah, politically, you're you're just neutral completely. So tell me about Australia before you got here. You told me this at one point, but. Tell me where you're from and what it's like there. Yeah, I'm from Melbourne, um, so the southeast of Australia. Uh, born and raised um, oh, up until 29, then I moved to the States. But uh, yeah, I, I, I was, I never, as a kid, I was never, I was always into music, but I never, uh, I wasn't surrounded by people with music, family or friends. So I never kind of, I never learned to play an instrument or any of that, or any of that stuff. I think that's why I do audio now because... Mm -hmm. You know, I could. I I started playing guitar in my uh, when I got a bit older, but um, uh, then I I turned. Uh, you know, I went to went to college, university of college, studied economics, and I hated it. Then <laughs> I know as soon as I finished that, I got a job in a, just in a warehouse. I thought I'm not doing this. I got to go back and study audio, and so I went and studied audio. Did it for a year, and I cut my teeth on the pub scene in in, in Melbourne, and and because that's where it's at in in Melbourne there, mostly in Australia. It's it's the rock and roll pub scene, mm -hmm. and that's where you cut your teeth. Uh, you go in there to those venues, 
and it smells like alcohol. Mm-hmm. The, the microphones stink like vomit and alcohol. They've been <laughs> battered and beaten. They're broken. They're, and you're just trying to, you're rolling cables that are just sticky because yeah. of all the booze that's been spilt on it. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, but that's where you learn your chops. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, same as being a player. That's, that's yeah. where you learn. Yeah. Because, uh, but that, that's what it's like there. And uh, it's, it's pretty much a smaller America. That's the best way to describe it. It's just a smaller America. It's, it's, it's a very similar uh, vibe in terms of um, uh, the music scene, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, nightlife and yeah. that kind of stuff. So if you think, probably a smaller and safer. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, but uh, that's pretty much it. But that was good fun. I, I, I remember doing gigs. I'd, I'd, um, I, I'd carry a few bits of gear with me like a little compressor and some cables and mics and I'd go into the venues and kind of patch into their system. And yeah. uh, this was pre prevalence of digital consoles, Yeah, you know, so there were a couple around, but that were rare cause they were worth like 50, 60 K at the right, time. Right, right. Um, now you can get them for like 700 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so you were there in Australia doing sound for, rock club or you know bars and pubs and and then didn't you didn't you follow or you you were you went on tour with a group yeah i went on tour with like a was that like your first big that was my first job job yeah yeah so when i studied the audio i did it for a year and my teachers said uh they didn't say specifically to me but they said it to the class like if you're getting work you shouldn't be here and i was Mm. just starting to get work at that time live gigs so I didn't. I did the first year and then I dropped out. I didn't. I didn't finish off the second or third year. It was the best decision I made because I I got a few pub gigs. People would throw my name around. So I'd, people would call me, "Hey, I got your number from this guy. We've got a gig Friday. You want to do it? Cool." I did did this one gig for this um uh kind of uh, R and B rock and rolly band. Uh, and then about a month later, they called me and said, "Hey, we're going to Europe." Uh, for three weeks we need someone to do sound and just general tour manage, managing stuff like we mentioned before the sound yeah. guy is everything uh and uh he does everything he's not he does he's not everything <laughs> but um uh <laughs> and so i i said sure yeah didn't knowing that i was going to lose money because i had to pay for my own airfares and that kind of stuff it was a low budget thing um and so i did we went to germany for two and a half weeks and we went to spain for about uh but just under a week, we only did two shows in Spain, uh, and that was uh, it was rough, but it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was my first thing, and then uh, uh, and that was six months six months in to me being a quote unquote uh, live sound guy. Yeah, so I was just new, and I was on tour in Europe. I was just like, is this if this is the path I'm going down? <laughs> <laughs> Although I remember in Germany, I actually did have one of my worst gigs. Uh, not worst gigs, but weirdest gigs ever. Uh, it was this big warehouse and the, the, the ceil- one of those really high ceiling warehouses. And the band, and I get in there and I go to the in-house guy. I'm like, oh, where's the console? And he turns around to the point to the back of the venue, right up in the top right-hand corner of the venue, literally the top right-hand corner, up a huge flight of stairs. And I just went, oh, you're going to be kidding me, right? So I get up there, I'm like, oh, gig's got to be done so i get up there band starts playing all i hear is bass 
Yeah. It's all I can hear from up there. I'm like, ah, <laughs> oh, this is good. I'm going to have a workout tonight. <laughs> Run downstairs, listen, think I've got to change this. Run upstairs, make the change, go back down, realize it's not right. Run back up and all night. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, a, that was fun. So what do you, what, what's your, what's your gig nowadays? What do you? Um, well, I'm still doing some local gigs. Uh, I just finished up recently with, uh, the Hillbenders. Cool. Um, yeah, I did about six months, uh, with those guys, uh, friends of the podcast, friends We've of the podcast. Yeah. Had Mark on here and yeah, Mark that, that we, are cause he lives local as well. And so yeah. we would fly out together, uh, to all the gigs, um, and that was cool. That was a really fun, uh, uh, fun tour for, for six months there. And uh, I actually remember I had one of my best sounding gigs with those guys. I don't remember where, I think it was in the Midwest somewhere. Uh, I don't remember the venue or even the state we were in because we were flying around so much. Um, but I, re- I just remember that I, from, the, from right in the beginning, I just went, this is awesome. It sounds phenomenal mm-hmm. and everyone's into it and right at the end uh, because most people have to walk past you to get out of the venue at the end of the, the gig. Everyone was like, you know, thumbs up. That was awesome. That was great. I'm just, it's just, it's a great feeling to get there, yeah. you yeah. know, uh, especially when you're the person who's supposed to go unrecognized. Right. So when somebody does recognize it, you kind of like, for the right reasons, because usually if they're recognizing it, it's for the wrong reasons because yeah. it sounds bad. But when they're recognizing it because they don't recognize it, because they don't realize, you know, it's a live band because it sounds so good. It's just, yeah. it's the best compliment you can get as a sound guy. Yeah. Yeah. So is that, would you say that that's like your, um, I don't know, I don't know if policy is the right word, but you're your goal when you're when you're mixing a show is to make it sound blended and and natural so that it doesn't sound like it's live almost it sounds like yes yeah, absolutely uh I, I like to um i'm probably going to get a little technical not Do most, most people who listen to you will it. know anyway but yeah. uh, uh but uh, what what i like to do is uh I don't like the harshness of of a sound like that piercing high mids because the human ears uh, tune, we, we naturally hear high mids, mids and high mids more than other frequencies. So I like to uh, notch out a little bit of those, those kind of like 2 to 3K uh, in the PA and then I like to compress the front of house uh, and, and raise it up. So you get the adrenaline of the, 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 the sound pressure, like the, the actual physical adrenaline pushing into you without the harshness on your ears. Mm. And, and that's what I always try to accomplish in a room because that gives it that feeling of uh, almost a kind of like recording-like quality because you can crank up a recording and it's never harsh on your ears. Mm-hmm. It's loud, but it's never really harsh. And so that's always what I try to accomplish in a room and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It just depends on the room. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do like to blend it, um, blend it in. And on the graphic EQs, you'll usually see on on mine uh, a, a bit of those uh, high, mi- a bit of those mids, high mi- upper mids, uh, kind of notched down a few dB. Interesting. Tell me more about the the China trip. Uh, so I worked with. Um, 
I met uh, I met Dust Bowl through Daniel Mark, who was is a friend of Get yeah. Down Boys, and I remember on my first ever one of my first that same venue we spoke about earlier with the first gig with you guys. Okay, I think he wasn't there for that first gig, but we did that same gig about a month later, and he was there for that, and that's how I I met him, and then subsequently uh, the Dust Bowl. Was it? Ariel. 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 On, in, on Main Street, on I Main, think, yeah, in yeah. Santa Monica. Okay, now I know <laughs> yeah. what you're talking about. Yes, yeah. that was a really tricky room. Yeah. And we were trying to do a condenser in there for a long time. Yeah. And you're right, yeah, Daniel. I think we, we played on Daniel's birthday there. Uh, I don't know if it was that show or not. But yeah. Okay, yeah, I got you. All right. Yeah, so, so you know, and then uh, uh, probably about a year later, uh, he'd hit me up and said, hey, um, Dust Bowl just got, just got a... Um, uh, tour through Europe for three weeks, uh, sorry, Europe, China for three weeks. Uh, do you, you know, would you be interested in doing, in doing it? You know, they're still talking to other guys, other sound people and, and that kind of stuff. But, you know, you'd be up, up in the running because I know you and I know you can do the gig. And I said, absolutely. Um, you know, I got the gig. So we went there and, uh, I'd actually never seen, it's kind of funny because I'd never seen the Dust Bowl Revival play live until about two days before we went <laughs> to China on tour yeah. and I was going to be their live sound guy. Yeah. They had a gig at Mrs. Fi- um, Mrs. Fish, is that downtown? Yeah. Um, they had a gig there and I'd never seen them live. Also a weird room because the stage is right in the middle and yeah. it's kind of big and open. And exactly. Uh, and uh, so I went there and I thought, yeah, okay, these guys are great. These guys are great. I, I'm so glad I said yes to this. And we, so we get in a plane, we fly over there, um, and right, we'd sent we'd sent the specs before we went there, but we weren't expecting much because we were told by the person who set that set set up that tour because he's done it in the past because it was like a government cultural exchange thing, mm. and we were told, look, don't expect much from a technical perspective. Um, just do what you make do with what you can. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of people just constantly say yes to you. Mm-hmm. They're just too polite. They just yeah. And they they the reality is they won't do or they can't do or won't do what you're asking. They're too polite just to just say no. So don't expect everything. I thought that was exaggerated. I thought no, surely <laughs> this is just not the case, right? I get there. I'm like I got we 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 our first gig and I'm just. Uh, I need this, that, and the other, and they're just nodding. Yes, sure. And we had a translator with us, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And and I'm like, awesome. You know, twenty minutes later, I still haven't got my stuff. I'm like, I ask again. Like, you know, where's you know this? I'm asking politely. I'm not being rude. You know, I'm asking politely. And you know, they're like, yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, oh, awesome. Ten minutes later, and still nothing. And I that's when I realized, ah, uh, yeah, okay. This is gonna be one of those right. where where we're just short on gear everywhere, and we did this. We did some really. They're an eight-piece yeah, American eight roots, players in the band. Yeah, um, like American Roots Orchestra, and we did this one gig. There were four. We had five wireless microphones. One wasn't working, so we had four wireless microphones. The mixer was in a room about a hundred feet behind the stage, <laughs> and the audience was about fifty feet down <sighs> because they were elevated. And I just, and and there was the the stage and the audience were separated by a moat, <laughs> <laughs> and I was just you got to be kidding me, man. Yeah, I normally have to have six, about minimum like sixteen channels for these guys, and I've got four wireless mics. Uh, we we got through it though. Huh? And you said that on that trip, there was like hardly a minute of free time. Yeah, we 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 had um. 
we had some free time. We did. Uh, but, uh, well, free time defined as not gigs. Yeah, we had a few days. Free time defined as we can sit around and relax. No, because they jam-packed everything with gu- tour guides and this and that and get up at this time even on your day off and we're going to go see this, which I'm grateful for sure, now. Yeah. Because had they have not done that, we would have all just gone, oh, we're too tired, leave us long, yeah. we want to see things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was good that they, they forced us to see things. Cool. Yeah. Well, T-Well... Thanks for being on the uh, guitar cast, man. Oh, thank you, man. It's a pleasure. All right. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next time on Guitar Cast with Andy Keithley.